0: chapter 20, as we journey through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, making our way through all 66 books, Revelation 20. Now we read the first three verses, but we're going to reread them again and get into context down to verse 10. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and see, put a seal upon him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. We'll get into that later. And verse 4 says, "...I saw thrones, and they who sat upon them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness of Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years." But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years has expired, Satan was re- released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they were tormented day and night forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for words of encouragement. You know what we need, Lord. You know when to bring it. You know when to bring that encouraging verse or email or call an encouraging hug from a fellow saint. And Lord, we look into what is coming soon. And we look into this glorious time known as the Millennial Kingdom. And it should give us joy and hope in the world in which we live in. We still pray for the lost. We pray for anyone sitting here who still doesn't know you. And that through these words of encouragement today, that they too would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Bless those serving in the back and those watching us over the internet and over the radio. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. What a great section of scripture. We're going to unpack this today. And um, I don't apologize for messages. I'm apologizing today, because it's going to be lengthy in that there has been views through church history that are just plain wrong. I know people don't like to say that in the church. They'll say, well, that's your view. It is your view, but it's your wrong view, and I can back that up with scripture. And the problem that has happened oftentimes inside of the body of Christ for 2,000 years, and especially in mainline, mainline denominations, as we will see, it is when you leave God's word and you say, this is important, but this is not important. Then you go down a path where you start to believe, and I'm going to say this in air quotes, doctrine that isn't doctrine at all. It is a misinterpretation of God's Word. And what it does is it harms the body of Christ. Because as we'll see today, they're missing a whole section of the Bible. The Bible is not just the New Testament. It involves the Old Testament. And to understand the New Testament, you must understand the Old Testament. Ah, I'm ahead of myself. That's in my notes. (laughs) Let's jump into this thousand-year reign. Now, where are we? In Revelation, we have had the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen. That was seven years. We are in heaven as the body of Christ, not on planet Earth during this tribulation where God is pouring out His wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. He is bringing judgment upon mankind that has had every opportunity to accept His love and forgiveness during that tribulation period time and time again, even through the worst of it, God's grace was being poured upon man and giving them an opportunity to accept him, to come into his presence. God wants, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? And so now that battle is done, that great Armageddon, Jesus has put his foot on the Mount of Olives. You and I are riding what animal? Thank you, horses. Did I hear a donkey over here? Oh, we're riding horses, we come back with Jesus and now we pick up where we left off last week and it says in verse four, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was committed to them and then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God And who had not worshipped the beast, nor his image, and had not received the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hand, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Don't get confused by these first and second uh, resurrections. Hold on. Blessed and holy is he who has, the first, uh, has part in the first resurrection. Over such a, th- a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. So, we got a lot of jumping around today. Are you ready to get your fingers going in your Bible and your swiping? Get your swipey ready. We're going to start in math. Keep your place here. We'll come back. It'll be a while, but we'll come back here. Let's start in Matthew 25. Now, this topic of the thousand years, as we'll see, is very contentious. It shouldn't be. It's very clear. He said a thousand years six times in this section. And I'll get to this in a minute, but people like, it doesn't mean a thousand years. If you say something six times, do you think that that's exactly what you mean? <laughs> Am I the only dumb one in the room? Oh, wait, smart one? Well, maybe I'm dumb. But I think when you say something six times, I think you mean it. I don't think it's an allegory. Oy vey, I'll get there. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, now, when the Son of Man, verse 31 comes in his glory. What is that? We just read it. When he came and he defeated those in Armageddon, that last battle, and he put his foot on the Mount of Olives, and it split in two, this is that. Jesus is speaking of the next part in human history. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now, what does that mean? Now, I, I apologize. I use common sense. So does this mean that Jesus has a throne and will reign? So then I have to tie those together. So I'm tying Scripture together with you. Now, I realize I'm talking very basic, but you've got to understand there is a whole huge wing in the church that are not going to believe what I'm about to teach. Sorry, but it's right here in God's Word. Notice, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides his sheep with the goats. And he will set up the sheep on his right hand, but the goats will go to his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you took me in I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me and then the righteous will answer and say Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and when did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, note that, the king, hence a ruling period, a king will answer and say to them, surely I say to you, in as as you've done it to the least of my brethren, I want you to circle that word brethren, and I want you right underneath it, the Jewish nation. It is not us. It's the Jewish people. Let's continue. It is so much as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, this is just free. But did you see what hell was created for? The devil and his angels. It was never created for mankind. And we make this statement all the time. God is not sending any human being to hell. They send themselves to this place because they have rejected God's love and God's freedom to break the chains. And so, boy, well, we could just preach that. He says, For I, I was hungry and you gave me no, f- I'm sorry, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not take me, and naked you did not clothe me, and sick and in prison you did not visit me. And then they will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, in as you did not do it to one of the least... Of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to everlasting life. It's beautiful, isn't it? Let's keep going. We're going to go. I got to. Sorry, I got to go back to my notes. Where was I? Let's turn to Zechariah fourteen. I'm just setting the stage for you, and then we'll get into these church issues and doctrinal issues, and then we'll let you know what's going to happen during this time. Zechariah 14, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem, And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the woman ravaged, and half the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of the battle. Listen to verse 4. We already talked about this last week. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north, half towards the south. And then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee, and you will... As you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, thus says the Lord my God, will come and listen, all the saints with you. And it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, and the lights will be diminished. At the end of the tribulation, we've already seen this. Remember, the sun went dark, the moon went dark, and it was only Jesus right at that battle of Armageddon. And in that day, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and in winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over how much of the earth? All the earth. And in that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. It's great, isn't it? That's what we're reading. So, Turn back to Revelation for a minute. So in verse 4 of chapter 20, and we're going to get into this, but let's just see this for a minute. In verse 4, when it says, I saw thrones, and you're asking yourself, okay, we've had the marriage supper of the Lamb, but what next for us? What are we doing? Well, there is a gap period between that seven-year period of time, that tribulation us having the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then eternity, where there is a new heaven and a new earth. We're not there yet. Next chapter. Got it? That hasn't been done yet. We still have this third rock from the sun that we're on. But remember that this third rock from the sun has been leveled. It has been decimated. It will not look... If you try to find your home, when you come back on Bob the Horse... Like, I want to see where I used to live. It won't be there. There's no mountains. There's no islands. I was thinking of that coming in today because I flew over the Himalayan mountains and they're huge. I'm thinking, where are they going? How is he going? If God said in the beginning, (laughs) you know, let there be light, he can also say, mountain, go away. It's real easy. I'm looking forward to seeing how he's going to do it. So our topography of planet Earth will be completely different than it is now. But we will have a responsibility of ruling and reigning with Jesus. We will have judgment. This time is spoken of the rod of the iron. Uh, It's that way, of the rod of Jesse. This is Messiah ruling and reigning. We're going to see why that needs to happen who will be there in a minute. But he says here, blessed, verse 6, and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. It has been said, born one, die twice. Born twice, die once. Did everybody get that? You must be born again, Jesus said. Born twice, die once. Born once, which means don't give your life to Christ, die twice. If you don't understand, let me just... You want to be born twice. It's like the seven letters to the seven churches. You want to be Philadelphia. And not because they have great cheesesteaks. So I apologize to the men right now because I was cooking up there this weekend and I was all excited, got the menu, right? I'm like, men, we're having Philly cheesesteaks, right? Got a new griddle at the camp, right? I'm cooking it, got the meat, got the hoagies. This is wonderful. Um, It dawned on me later, and bless the men, bless your heart for not rebuking your pastor openly, but... One of them said, I'm from Philly. And I'm like, well, maybe I won't call it a Philly cheesesteak there then. You <laughs> but your pastor left out the very part in the title. I left out the cheese. So it was a Philly, like meat, steak, hoagie thing. Uh, what does it have to do with this? It? No, it's free. So let's dive into this. Where are we? What are we doing? And the problems of church history and doctrine. I'm going to start by giving you these three views of the millennial kingdom, and then we're going to look at one of them in depth, and then we will, in the time that we have, make a run into the rest of the thousand years. Have grace on your pastor today. (laughs) Long drive home yesterday. Those men, they just beat me up up there. So, the millennial kingdom has three views. It is a premillennial, postmillennial, and all-millennial. Of course, it's always something, right? We can't just look at the Bible and trust what six times says that's a thousand years. No, we got to be divided. Um, before examining the nature of the kingdom itself, we have to review this in light of scripture and then back up our our views. If somebody cannot back up their views uh, and their teaching, then uh, their view is is worthless. Everybody got that? It's not like, well, that's what I was taught or that's, I mean, how many people say there are errors in the Bible and can't tell you where the errors in the Bible are? Oh, it's full of contradictions. Really? Where's one? Well, I heard it on CNN. Good luck with that. (laughs) Those guys are the bastion of truth. Uh, So let's look at the pre-millennial view first. It's, in my opinion, the shortest because it's it's the right one. I start with the right one first. This view is that Christ will return to the earth literally. Did you hear that word? Literally. And boldly, like we just read, like put his foot. You thought the... Like, you know when the, my kids and I laugh all the time, the superhero when they come from the sky and they land and they do that fist on the ground, and Jesus ain't going to do the superhero land, and he's just going to land on the Mount of Olives and it's going to blow open. It's going to be so amazing. That's powerful. That's bold. And we just read that from where? God's word. So why, why wouldn't we believe that then? Oi, let's get through it. So he comes before the millennial kingdom and before that age. His presence in the kingdom, he institutes this reign for a literal thousand years and you and I will rule with him. His base of operation is in Jerusalem. We will see that King David is the mayor of Jerusalem. How cool is that? And that you and I will be given an area to rule and reign or a job title, or some kind of task. I'm okay with cutting the grass. Anyone else? They're like, I don't care. I'm just glad I'm here. I'm just thankful that I'm here. Thank you, Lord. I'm not where they are going to be, that goat and the sheep. And we'll get to that in a minute. Then we have the all millennial and this is a this is a belief or a teaching holds that there will be no literal millennial all mi- means no so no millennium everybody got that all millennial that they, they teach that there is no literal millennial on the earth following the second coming of Christ it tends to be spiritualized in all the prophecies concerning the kingdom and attributes of the church and those who prophesy relating to Israel now dr walvern probably one of the finest uh, eschatological teachers. That's a fancy word for end times teaching. Walvern, probably the best there is. Uh, He points out that the large number of all millennials at present come from three sources. Those who have become disenchanted with post-millennialism, we'll get to that in a minute. Those who came out of the Church of Rome, he's pretty... Diplomatic there. He didn't call it the Catholic Church, the Church of Rome. That's that's diplomatic. And then those who identify with 20th century liberalism and that how that filtered inside of the church. When uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came here from Germany in the 30s, he already saw liberalism flood inside of the university that he was at and they had already jumped ship with God's word in the 30s. We think it's some new thing. It's not new. It's actually kind of old. Um, Where did I go? It is not correct to say that all, all he says, not all, all millennialists are liberal, but it is correct to say that all liberals are all millennialists. One cannot hold the, Uh, the all millennial view uh, without uh, uh, looking at scripture and looking at it in an allegorical way or a spiritualized way, not in a literal way. So everybody got that? The all millennials does not look at the scripture in a literal way. Then you got the post-millennialist. The most recent of these three is the the post-millennialist. And the post-millennialist basically suggests that the world will get better. (laughs) I can't even read this. I'm going to laugh. They teach that the world has to get better and better until the whole world becomes Christianized, and at which time Christ then will return to a kingdom of peace. This is a view held by, listen, it started with Jonathan Edwards back way back in in the 1700s, and it is popularized by a Unitarian view of God and God's word. So let me dive you a little bit deeper. I know what you're thinking. Please don't be gentle. Let's look at all millennialism for a minute. And again, I may restate some of these, but this is long. Now, I've switched apps. I am now in my notes app. There are only 400 pages. No. The all-millennial view of the end time is this. Bible prophecy and their majority view is uh, it, it is two main branches. It is the Church of Rome. I'll be diplomatic there. And then mainline Protestant denominations hold to this view. All millennialists are those who believe that Jesus is currently reigning over the world from heaven through the church. Now, I just got to say, this place stinks if we're in the kingdom. Anyone want their money back? If this is the kingdom, what? Let's keep going. They believe that it began at the cross and will continue until the second coming. They do not believe that Jesus will ever return to the earth to reign from Jerusalem. In this viewpoint, the amillennials must spiritualize most of the end-time prophecies, arguing that they don't really mean what they say they mean. Thus, for example, they dismiss the fact that in this chapter that we are reading, Revelation 20, we are told six times (laughs) that the millennial will last for a 1,000 years. The all-millennialists reject the thousand years as being figurative in nature, meaning only a long period of time, they say. And because the word... Did everybody get that? So they say, it doesn't mean what it says it means. Well, if you can say that about that piece of Scripture, why can't you say that about other pieces of Scripture? Oh, no, no, we know what we're talking about. We're smart. I don't think so. Because then people can say that about the cross or about atonement or different sins. Well, now that sin doesn't apply anymore. And you can just pick and choose what you want. You got to believe the Bible. And when it says something six times, it means a thousand years. What if Jesus would have said this to you uh, guys, he's telling the disciples, I'm going into the grave, and on the third day, I'll rise again. Was Jesus just joking? I'm just kidding. I'll be hanging out at Joppa for a while. No, he meant three literal days, did he not? I'll be in the ground and I'll come out after the three days. But because the word of God and the studying of the Bible is not the high priority of the all-millennialist or the churches they attend, They have little or no knowledge of the end time prophecies concerned in Scripture. Most all millennialists believe that the only place in the Bible that the millennium is mentioned is in Revelation 20. Do you see where they err? The bottom line is that most all millennials simply do not know the Old Testament Scripture. And this is a major problem uh, inside of the church today because it affects not only prophecy but all doctrine. You see, a lot of people grew up in what's called as a New Testament church. Maybe you went to a New Testament church, a church that only taught the New Testament because they believed that the Old Testament wasn't relevant for the New Testament church. And so they left out the Old Testament. The problem is, is that it's sometimes hard to understand portions of the New Testament without knowing the context of the Old Testament. you got to understand, those who are living in Jesus' day, they don't have the New Testament. Everybody got that? It hasn't been written yet. All they have is the Old Testament. When Philip is talking to the, the Ethiopian eunuch on the road, Does he have the Gospels? No. He has no Pauline letters. He has nothing. What does he have? Isaiah. And as he's reading there, it just happened to be that he was in Isaiah 53. And he was able to declare to the Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus is who he says he is by what? The Old Testament. For example, Jesus is referred by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15-20 as the first fruits of those who are resurrected. Now, there is no way to understand that expression apart from the knowledge of the Old Testament sacrificial system. you got to go to Leviticus, and you got to understand what is a first fruit. What does that mean? And then you now have context. You see, without context, you can make up whatever you want, and you can actually develop your own cult, which we have seen so many times. In fact, you can say, there is no God. It's in the Bible, except it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In like manner, Jesus is referred in the book of Hebrews to the high priest of our confession, and as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But if you don't go into Genesis and learn about that, how do you know who this order of Melchizedek is? What does it mean when he went to Abraham and Abraham gave a tenth of his tithe, uh, all that he had to the king of Salem, the king of peace, king of Jerusalem? What does that mean? Well, it points to Jesus. Lastly, the all-millennialist, this is important because this is what's most relevant, holds the replacement of Israel. The Jewish people are no longer important. And I thought about that for a long time because when all millennialism starts, it starts around 300 A.D.-ish into the 400s and the Church of Rome is gaining power and strength and eventually they will have the Inquisition, will they not? Martin Luther, at the end of his life, In the beginning, it was, I don't know what happened to that guy. He started well, but he got old and crotchety. Don't do that if you're old. Just don't do it. Push through it. I I won't hate millennials. I I won't complain when they're on their phone. Don't be like that. That's what Martin Luther became, and he started to print and say things against the Jewish people, against God's people and then the Nazis used it in the Third Reich. So this view holds that the replacement of Israel, that the Jewish people are no longer important, and because the churches replaced them, therefore all the promises of the nation of Israel now belong to the church, and this is why the all-millennialist is not a bad doctrine, which it is, but it's a destructive doctrine, because now it says it's okay to go after Israel. Listen, it's okay to say that the Israelis right now are putting down these poor Palestinians. It's not their land. Come on, man. (laughs) That's rhyming there a little bit. You see, it's frustrating. And, And I don't mean this, they're ignorant. You know what that word means? They just, they're not informed. They haven't been taught their Bible. They haven't been taught to cherish God's holy word, all of it. And so then they can be a part of the, a denomination that will go after Israel for their policies. I don't know about you, but that's why a lot of those denominations are declining. Mm. Let me. This, I'm going to pull an audible for a minute. Turn to Romans 11, and you knew I was going there those of you who have been here for a while. It's my favorite go-to. Actually, I will mention it later in the message. Listen to what he says. I say, then, has God cast away his people? Who's his people? The Jewish nation. Certainly not for I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says to Elijah and how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And what does the... the I love how Paul says this. I love, he says, what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God is not done with Israel. God help any church that goes against God's people. We are not God's people. We are the bride of Christ. You've got to know that. There is a difference. Now, once a Jew becomes a believer, I'm looking at one, he becomes a Christian. There is no Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ. I add there is no black, no white, no brown, nor yellow. We are one race, we are one blood of people. Don't you dare bring that stuff into the church. Okay. Let's breathe for a minute. Let's go back. I don't even know where I was, but I'm going to try to find my notes. There we go. So let's dive into the millennial reign, shall we, in the brief time that I have. Once Messiah has poured out wrath, his, the wrath of God that was last week on the enemies of God, he will establish his reign over the earth, and he will begin to manifest his glory. I'm going to read a lot to you from Isaiah and I want you to think about this. If if the book of Revelation primarily tells us about the tribulation period, then the book of Isaiah tells us primarily about the thousand year reign. Uh, there is more about the thousand year reign than there is about the tribulation period. And it's where? The Old Testament. You're not going to know about it unless you read the Old Testament. Unless you read Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, all of these prophets have God's word declared on what is to come. Isaiah 24, 23 says, Then the moon will be abased and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. What is being described? A reign. What does that mean? There must be a kingdom, right? A kingdom means a king and reigning. So here's this reigning again. Now, what will happen during this time? I'm going to make a mention of a few of them because I want to get back to Revelation. There will be, uh, what are the political characteristics of this time? Well, the reign will be worldwide. It will be peaceful in nature and the world will be blessed with righteousness and justice. The Lord's throne will be established in Jerusalem, and he will occupy the throne of David, and David will also be ruling in that time as well. His government will be a theocratic one in which we will serve the king as judges, as rulers. The redeemed will reign with the Lord as princes. Listen, we will reign with him. (laughs) He doesn't need us but we're just along for the ride. Um, the spiritual aspects of the kingdom are this. It says it in Isaiah four, uh, no Isaiah thirty-five ten. it says, And the ransom of the Lord will return, and it will come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their head, and they will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will be it'll be gone. It'll flee away. There is redemption in nature, and I'm going to have you guys turn to some verses, as well as the quality of life and the length of life. Let's turn to, let's find some, let's take that one out, Take that one out. Let's go first to Isaiah 2. Just a few of these. If I, I could spend probably four teachings just on the verses in the Old Testament that talk about this time, right? And I know what you're thinking. Don't. (laughs) Just, Just spend a couple of... Give us that Reader's Digest version. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, listen, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, and he will teach us his ways, and and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Awesome, isn't it? It just keeps going. We're not going to keep going. But listen to what he says. Jerusalem is the capital. Jesus is going to have whatever house he's going to have there. He's going to rule and reign there. All the nations will flow to that. I love it. In verse uh, 3, it says, hey, come, let's let's go listen to a Bible study from Jesus. What? Who doesn't want to hear that? This, this is what I was thinking the other day. What if Jesus did this? He's like, okay, Jonah, you're up. I don't want to be up. Now, come on, Jonah, you got to say, I don't want, it's embarrassing, Lord. Jonah gets up and he tells us everything that happened in the book of Jonah and probably a lot he left out. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool to just see it? You know, you see those those plays where they act out, right, and they got the lamb and the sheep. But what if David is standing there with Goliath? Or what if that is happening and Jesus is giving this running commentary? How cool is that? But notice it says in verse 4, that he will judge between the nations and rebuke many, and they will beat their swords and the plowshares. Now, this is on the wall of the UN. I doubt no one in the UN has ever read the rest of Isaiah, but they know this verse, don't they? Now, think about the nation's out, uh, output in far as GDP and how much we spend on the worldwide scale in armament and weapons. And we turn that and we focus that on the well-being of everybody and agriculture. It has been said that the wealth on planet Earth is this, that everybody could be given a billion dollars on planet Earth, everybody, and there would be leftover. That's how much wealth is on planet Earth. You're like, I'd like to try that. Just give it a test. Okay, let's keep going. In our list, uh, that was Isaiah 2. Let's go to Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of its roots. Now, this is a very... Very famous verse, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit, of, uh, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and shall strike down the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now listen, (laughs) the wolf shall lie shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Moms, a little afraid of your kids with the wild beast? Not in the kingdom. By the way, let me say this because we're going to get into this a minute. During the millennial kingdom, there are mortals and there are immortals. The body of Christ has a transformed body. You and I are immortal. We will not have kids. This does not apply to us. We are ruling and reigning. Everybody got that? So that, this is not our, our role. We'll get to who is there and what they're doing in a minute. But it seems that planet Earth goes back to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden. So whatever that garden looked like and what happened in that garden and then after that with when Adam came out and they had the longevity of their life, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, it seems that that's all there. So you, look, you got all the cool stuff there. You got the cow and the bear uh, grazing. Uh, their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The, n- <laughs> the nursing shall... Sh- Shall play in the cobra's hole, and the weed child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Not advisable now, perhaps later. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah 65. 65, verse 19. Convenient, I'm just staying in Isaiah. <laughs> but we could go all over the place today. Sixty-five, nineteen says, I rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people and the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her nor the voice of crying. Listen to what the condition of this world will look like. Now, someone who is immortal like us, we don't cry, we don't weep because we already know that God wipes a white. wipes away every tear. There's no weeping, there's no sorrow, there's no pain for his bride. Yes? This is applying to them on planet earth. The voice of the weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die as a hundred years old, and the idea is if a child would have died, it would have been a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit, and they shall not build upon another inhabit, and they shall not plant and another eat, for as in the days of a tree, so are the days of my people, and my elect shall Uh, I'm sorry, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hand. And they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children in trouble, for they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and of their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that they shall call, and I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And then he says it again And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. Okay, let's go back to Revelation 20. Now, you might ask yourself this, when are we finishing? No. Why is there a millennial? Anybody ever ask that? I mean, if we're the bride of Christ, why do we have to do this thousand-year, go and reign with him? What is the purpose for the millennial kingdom? Well, there's a couple of reasons for them. We won't go into too much detail, but the purposes are this. Number one, the promises to the Jews. This has really nothing to do with us. We're working during this time. Uh, and ruling and reigning in Christ, but it really doesn't apply to us. It applies a little bit to us, but not as much as it applies to the Jews. God has made promises to the Jews, which he will fulfill during this this time. That is why the all-millennial's view is wrong, because if there is no millennial, then God's promises are not valid from the Old Testament, and that cannot ever be right. Because God always w- fulfills His Word, amen? But you don't know that if you don't read that. So if I don't read the Old Testament and my church doesn't teach that, the value of God's Word, the value of Obadiah, the value of Jonah, and on that list goes. If you don't value God's Word like that, well then it, it, it okay, okay. God promised that he will gather the land of Israel and the remnant of the Jews. He promised them, let me read to you from Zechariah 8. It says, and it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so I will save you that you will become a blessing. He continues and he says in Zechariah 8, 23, 10 men from the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew and say, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you during this time. So, not only promises to the Jews, but promises to the church. It says in Daniel 7, verse 27. And there the sovereignty of the dominion of the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to a people of the saints of the Most High and His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. In Second Timothy 2 it says, If we endure, shall we not reign with Him? In Revelation 2, when he is speaking to the church of Thyatira, he says, And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He also promised the nations. Listen, it's quite interesting on planet Earth. I mean, man really wants to have peace, doesn't he? He created an entire group of people called the United Nations. They've never accomplished peace. Do you know why? Because men are in charge of it. Mankind, right? And because man is is sinful and desperately wicked, he will never have peace until the prince of peace comes and establishes. So God's word says this. He says, nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Again, we just read that from Isaiah 2. These are promises to them. A couple of last points. Who will then populate this millennial kingdom? Well, you and I, we've already said that. We will rule and reign with him. Yes? Immortal. Very cool. Looking forward to that, going from point A to point B in a flash. Um, eating whatever I want. Uh, no gray hair no body odor, all of these fun things, yes? Come on, you're as carnal as I am. You're like, I can't wait. Who will go through this time? Well, it's going to be believers. You will not enter into the millennial kingdom unless you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we read Matthew 25 in the beginning. Because it says that Jesus will come and he will separate those on his right and on his left, right? I just did that wrong, right, and on his left. And the right will enter into the kingdom and the goats will go into everlasting judgment. So um, the Bible tells us this. Well, that's why I read Romans earlier. But Romans 11 says all the Jews who survive and follow Jesus, will be saved. It says, and then all of Israel will be saved. So remember that remnant of the Jews that were hidden in the wilderness during the tribulation period? Most of the Jews have been killed at this point. Only a small remnant is left. They will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus will come. He will put his foot on the Mount of Olives. They will say, blessed is he. They will accept him. They walk into the kingdom. The only other group, and I don't know how this is possible, for people to make it through the tribulation without accepting the mark. They will have to accept Christ. I, that's going to be pretty easy seeing him come and then us behind him. On, um, just um, if, you're, if you're Bob, the run-of-the-mill guy who made it through the tribulation, I don't know how you did it, but you made it through, and then you see, because it says every eye will see him, Wherever you are on planet I don't know how that happens physically, but again, Genesis in the beginning, if God created, He can have everybody see. So you're Bob, run of the mill guy. You made it through the tribulation without the mark of the beast, without uh, any allegiance to Satan. And then you see Jesus coming on a white horse, and then behind him, all y'all, because we're southern, everybody's on horses, and they hit planet Earth, and it open. That's going to open up your eyes, isn't it? And those people will walk through and they will be, be, be believers. And in the beginning of the millennial, there will be believers. And the population, whatever the earth looks like, they're going to rebuild homes. Maybe you and I are part of Habitat for Humanity <laughs> at that point. I don't know. Because there's going to be a lot more of us in the beginning than them. There's a little bit of them. Maybe we're just sitting on a bench until we get our name called in heaven and say, go down, it's time for you to work whatever that looks like, but eventually that population is going to grow. I think people have a hard time understanding that during the time of Noah, there was roughly about the same population that we have now. How could a world have billions of people? Well, when you are 600 years old, ladies, and you're on your 500 kid, (laughs) you could have billions of people. Got that? And when this world goes back to the days of that, when there is longevity and when there is no animals eating anyone and it is peaceful and there is no war, then that population will explode again. And it doesn't take very long to do that. But as that population grows, then we rule and reign with him, and nations start coming back. But I was thinking about that But maybe the nations won't be what they're called today. They'll be called something else. And so as they're growing and as they are nations, at some point, now we're back to Revelation. i got to find it again. At some point, we are getting close to the end of the thousand-year reign, and this is what happens. Verse 7, chapter 20. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan was released from prison. Why? Anybody else? What for? You had him. Don't let him go. (laughs) And he will go out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them to, to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. That is tragic, that statement. And they went down to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And then fire came down and devoured them. It would seem this. Let me play this scenario out to you. As we get closer to the end, remember, there are believers in the beginning. We started the millennial with only believers, right? But those believers had kids. And then those kids had kids. And then those kids had kids. And the, you get the point, right? And you got billions of people. But listen to this. All they have ever known is Jesus sitting on the throne. They don't know a world of sin like we know. There, listen, there is no devil. He is shut up. He is sealed. But because the heart of man is still sinful and wicked, and because God must give every human being a choice, I looked up the word free will, And it means free will. It means that you have a choice. It actually means unforced choice. I like that definition. It's not forced. God's love is not forced upon this world. So they have an opportunity. What does the world say? Well, if we just had peace, if we just had safety, if we just had this, if we just had more mass mandates, oh, yeah. if we just had this, if, we did, if, if, if God cared, well, there is going to come a time where all of that is happening, but yet the heart of man is still wicked. Did you see that verse where it says, the sands of the sea? That breaks my heart. That maybe millions, let's just give it a, a number. Let's say a hundred million people rebel at the end of the thousand year reign where they can visibly see Jesus. I could excuse people today just for a moment by saying there is no visible Jesus. Yes? There's no kingdom. There's no angels flying around. There's no, I could give that to you. But then to reject love sitting right there. You and I as visible witnesses for the grace of God. But it says at the end of that, you and I will be gathered back to Jerusalem. I love this. You and I get a call. Time to come back home. And what, however that happens, however we travel back home, we come to Jerusalem. So if, look, here, here's the good news. If, if Israel ever opens up again and we go, get to go back, I encourage you to go to Israel with us. But it doesn't matter. One way or the other, you're going back home. You'll get there. You'll just either have this body that hurts, (laughs) or you'll have a body that's perfect there. But one way or the other, you're coming back home. And then this hundred million people will surround Jerusalem. Think about the insanity of sin and the deceptiveness of the heart of man who says, Remember that verse that says they will learn war no more? They don't know what a gun is. They don't know what a tank is. They don't know what strategies are. They are only going to be deceived once again like Eve was deceived at the garden. And you you might be saying, that's not fair. It is fair, and it's love because God must give them a choice. You have to enter into eternity by saying, Jesus is is my Lord by my choice. Uh, wives, would you just want your husbands to be a robot and say "I love you" all the time? Mean, you push your husband's chest. I love you. <laughs> I love you. I mean, that might work for a little bit, but at some point, it gets kind of like you don't really mean it. Love has to involve a choice. Spending eternity with Christ is a choice. And the millennial kingdom teaches mankind once and for all. We're all a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. Given the opportunity, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Sad, isn't it? Zero choice, or zero excuse during that time. Because they see him. They see us. And they reject that. Well, read ahead. Oh, by the way, I'm excited that Satan was once and for all thrown in the lake of fire. Amen. Woo hoo! Yeah, like, yeah, yes. Can I just vote to be the guy who throws him in? Push him in. Read ahead next week. The great white throne. We're not even done. We have to now judge everybody who has ever been alive that didn't accept Christ, and then we will see. The new heaven and a new earth created. The new Jerusalem that, oh, that's coming. Very exciting what's coming. But listen to what's coming. The judgment of God. It's real and it will happen. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful word. For your love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that, Lord, soon and very soon, we will hear a trumpet blow. We will be removed from here. All hell will be poured upon this world in judgment. And then, Lord, we will work for you. We will rule and reign in whatever capacity that is. And then, Lord, we walk into eternity. And we long to see your face. And we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, Lord, for the joy that comes every morning. Thank you that the morning is new. Your grace and your mercy is there. Thank you, Lord, for those serving. We thank you for the opportunity to be together today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Come soon, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this last song. Wednesday night in the book of Psalms, I encourage you to come out for some comfort and